Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this Halloween episode is author Keith Linder, who joined me to talk about the unsettling events he experienced for four years whilst living in a house in Bothell, a suburb of Seattle. These happenings started as soon as he and his partner moved in in 2012, and include almost everything you can imagine happening in a haunting, or poltergeist case. Their house was not an old structure, or a building marked by a gruesome history. Still, what has happened within its walls has been terrifying enough for it to become known as the Bothell Hell House, and be visited by numerous paranormal investigators. It's a truly fascinating case, of what it is like to experience malevolent paranormal activity firsthand. Enjoy. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Uh, hello. Uh, it's good morning here, or good evening, I should say, afternoon. Thanks for having me. Ah, you're very welcome. I think the best place to start with what happened is at the very beginning. So how and when did this start for you? Uh, this started uh, for me and my girlfriend, uh, May 1st, 2012. Um, we had just moved into a house uh, located about 20 minutes outside of Seattle, Washington, USA. And um, one of the, I mean, one of the weirdest things, and it's still weird to this day when I think about it, is um, we had just arrived to our new home. We had just signed the papers, shook hands with the homeowner. And this is a, a huge or a large home, single dwelling unit. And um, he left, and there's just us in the home, and me and Tina, my, my girlfriend at the time, Tina, uh, we're just talking, sitting in the living room. We're sitting on the floor. The home is empty. And like most people who get a new home, you're just sort of talking about the home, What's going to go in? What's not coming in? You know, where does the couch go? Love seat and all that. But in the middle of our conversation, out of the blue, just out of nowhere, uh, we heard a kid cough. And it was very real and very loud because I remember Tina looked at me and I looked at her. And we said it, and I kid you not, we said it at the same time. Was that a kid cough? And it sounded like it came from upstairs. It's a two-story home. And um, we have no kids, so we didn't bring any with us. And we just thought about it for maybe four to five minutes because it, it felt odd. It felt very distinct. But obviously, it had to have come from outside, right? Obviously, you know, but why would it? But we had no brush with the paranormal, no experience with the paranormal. Uh, we later learned that that was a precursor, if you will. So we shrugged it off. We shrugged it off and got back to our conversation. And fast forward two weeks later, we moved into the home. Then it started getting more interesting. Uh, two weeks now living in the home, still unpacking, still moving things from here to there. I noticed my extra set of car keys. And it's not really a car key, it's a car fob. And I noticed it was missing. And I never used this because it's my spare. I had no reason to use it. But 
I went to retrieve an item in my glove box in my closet in my office, and I noticed the keys were gone, the fob. So I thought that was weird. I'm like, uh, okay, key fob gone. And at the same time, Tina is noticing her jewelry. She has, you know, trinkets and whatnot, and she's having a hard time finding them, or she's missing a pair. And we both would talk about that, but we, once again, you just move into a home, you, you sort of rationalize, things get lost in the moving process, even though, I reiterate, these key fobs were my extra set. I walked them over to the new home. I did not put them in the mover's box or the mover's truck, and I cannot account for why they are missing when I never used them. Now we're four to five to six weeks into the home. This is now, you know, summer 2012, late June, early July. <clears throat> and you go to bed, and when you wake up in the morning, typical day, you know, you get your coffee, get your briefcase, about to go out to the, to the world, go to work. And I'm finding, or we're finding, kid toys Um displayed or displayed openly or put in our direct path, meaning I'm finding kid toys on the kitchen table, kid toys on the kitchen counter, kid toys on the staircase or the hallway or the upstairs hallway landing. And that was definitely an eyebrow razor because once again, we have no kids. And number two, these things are put out in the open. These are not things we're finding in behind appliances or something like that. So we thought we were being pranked by the neighborhood kid committee. I don't know. And I had the locks changed in all the all the, the front door, back door. I installed a security system because we actually thought people were coming in <clears throat> as a prank, um, leaving the stuff as a ha ha ha, welcome to the neighborhood. So I put an alarm system on, but it never stopped happening. Items are still missing, our silverware. We're noticing we're getting less and less spoons, knives, and forks. And then um, finally the day of, I guess, realization of, no, Keith, this is something more uh, abnormal. Because the day we were watching a movie, me and Tina, we were home weeknight, and we're watching a movie together. And Tina has this four-foot-tall plant that stands or yeah, stands right by the entertainment center in front of the TV, about four-foot tall, four feet tall. And all of a sudden, it darts up in the air. And when I mean darts up, I mean darts up a few inches off the ground, does a 360-degree spin, uh, almost like a whirlwind spin, And falls back to the ground in our direction. Now, we're both watching TV together, so we see this happen in real time. This is not something where our back was turned and we turn around and the plant that was once standing is now laying over. No. We saw a plant dart up a few inches off the ground, spin, and kill or fall back over. And at that time, me and Tina sort of looked at ourselves and rose up and went toward the plant, and we're looking for... Because we thought, aha, this is the joke of all jokes. This is where the balloons start coming down from the ceiling. Somebody pops out of a closet and hands us a big, giant check and says, hey, you guys have been on 
a reality TV show. I didn't even know it. Just for, <laughs> for being, you know, good host or good sports or good guest. So I'm waiting for that moment to happen, and I wish it did, but it's not happening because the only thing I could deduce now is our house is haunted. Because now I go back into my memory bank and I remember the kid cough, Tina does too, uh, my missing keys, Tina's missing jewelry. And we confirmed that because we were like, I think we have a ghost living in our house. And we went to my office and typed in on the computer on Google, how can you tell if your house is haunted? I mean, we, we know nothing about the paranormal, but it's got to be some key indicators out there, right? So let's see what the internet tells us. And sure enough, uh, a, a majority of paranormal websites said items missing, uh, items appearing that neither of you own, uh, voices. Uh, the one website even said a kid cough, you know, phantom footsteps, you know, objects moving. And we had all that. At that time, we had, had all that. So, But we weren't thinking malevolent. We were not yet in the malevolent category, but that's coming. And and all this was, like I said, the first six to eight weeks of living in a home. Right. And yourself and Tina, prior to this, had not really been interested in the paranormal? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we, we work a nine to five. I'm an IT project manager. Tina's a marketing manager. We have day jobs. We have... Our social life, paranormal is not something we we had a, have an interest in. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of it, but I don't know of it. You know, um, yeah. all the time I think paranormal or supernatural is around Halloween, like this time right now. You know, a scary movie, something of that effect. If I have a friend or somebody who told me a ghost story or something about them growing up as a kid or whatever, I would find it interesting. But that's that's as far as I go. Hmm. So at this point, after this initial activity, what what do you do in that situation? What is the point at which you try and seek assistance in stopping this activity? Well, right now, the, the advice given on the websites that we went to says, hey, you have a, you have a kid ghost, a kid spirit. Um, the house is not old. This house was built in 2005. Hmm. We moved in 2012. So it's not an old house. It's not a decrepit house. It's not an old neighborhood. But the advice given to us was, you know, this happens. Spirits get lost. Kid ghosts especially. Um, try to put on a parental role. Try to talk and ask questions. Who are you? What do you want? And then try to instruct the lost spirit to go into the light. I mean, we're, we're literally printing instructions off the Internet and trying to do the best I can follow the instructions and the advice given said they tend to go away. They tend to run their course and get bored with you or go away. Um, there was no fine print. Uh, it should have been because the, the fine print in my opinion should have read, um, the, there, there could be adverse effects to this methodology. <laughs> Just FYI, you know, because, Everything we tried to do, negative things happened. Now, after the plant levitated that night, it was game on almost every night now. The loud bangs started happening, and I mean very loud, around 8, 8.30 p.m. 
we could be having dinner, we could be watching TV, I could be in my office, Tina could be taking a bath. You hear these three consecutive loud bangs. Boom, boom, boom. And you cannot make heads or tails as to where that bang came from. And what we would do is we would say, hey, cut that out. Stop that. That's not nice. Okay? Boom, boom, boom. You know, hey, go into the light. Be at peace. Stop that. And then an object would be thrown, like a flower vase, you know, with the plant inside it. And when I mean thrown, I don't mean thrown directly at us, but thrown in our vicinity. Pretty close to hitting us, but not directly. And these plants would just obliterate upon impact on hitting the wall. You know, I could be talking to Tina, having dinner, and something zooms out the corner of my eye, and there's a loud crash. And sure enough, one of the plants that's resting, usually 10, 12 feet from the crash site, is now obliterated and there's a big dent or something on the wall. So that was very unnerving because the advice given was that's not what the spirit is supposed to do. The spirit is supposed to leave, be quiet, take their marching orders and leave. But we got the bangs and then we started getting the objects thrown uh, while sleeping. You know, you're sleeping now. You've already retired for the night. You've shut down the house and you have your bedroom door open and something flies in. Usually an iron, usually an ironing board or something of that effect, you know, wakes you up, startles you out, you know, out the world. And it's just unbelievable. And so then we went back to the websites and it was like, okay, if they don't get the message, you know, this plan B is to have your house blessed. Let's, let's call some churches. Let's get some clergy in here. Let's get some reverends, some preachers, some ministers. And we did. We, we bought, we, we called several churches and we said, hey, we're a new couple. We're living in Bothell. Um, some we told we were having weird things. Some we just said we, we, we would be appreciative if you could um, bless our house was sort of new to the area. And they did. There's not a church on, in my opinion, on this green earth that won't bless your house if you ask them. And they did. And the activity would seem to die down for a day or two, but we would come back and would come back a little bit stronger than it was before. Boom, boom, boom. The, the bangs are now louder. The plants are being thrown more frequent. I mean, you would have a plant be thrown, clean up the mess or the debris, put the plant back together again, you know, try to resuscitate the plant because these are living plants that Tina owned. Turn your back and that plant would be thrown again, okay? So that's the level of deliberate activity. That's the, the, the level of what I would call borderline malevolent activity because clearly something is doing something to get a rise out of me antenna, and it's working. Uh, to mm-hmm. answer your question full circle, when the time, I guess, the moment me and Tina realized we were no longer dealing with a kid ghost, but something a little bit more malevolent. And that was a new terminology for me when I read it on the internet. What's a malevolent haunting? And I guess the, the turning point was the night we were sleeping, me and Tina. And before going to sleep, we were just talking, lighthearted conversation about the day. 
Hey, I did this at work. Hey, I did this at work. Hey, I talked to my mom today. Hey, I talked to my sister today. And we're talking about our entire day, a little bit about the activity that happened during supper, and we're sort of lollygagging and laughing. And I kid you not, in the middle of our laughter, the bedroom door, it's a double door, slams shut like, boom! You know, total kills the laughter of conversation, you know. Just totally killed that because it was very loud. And these doors, how they, these doors are built, the doors, when they're open, they open toward the inside. They're inside the room. The doors, when it's open, the handle is in the room. Something pulled the doors in our room shut, you know? It would be like me walking by the hallway, see the door open, I'd reach into my bedroom and close the door. And that was the pause. That was the moment of truth or the moment of, Take this serious, and I could, and I kid you not. In my book, uh, my the Bothell Hell House, I said, uh, my mental, my mental thought at that time, the message I thought being conveyed to us from the spirits. This is their message they want to convey to us. You guys need to take this seriously. It's about to get real, and we're mm. going to need you guys mm. to uh, catch up a little bit because starting tomorrow, it's it's it's, it's yeah, it, it starts tomorrow. And it did. It, it, it really did. And all of 2012 um, was that and more. Objects moving, levitation, uh, the housewarming party, our, our friends who we invited, you know, for our housewarming party to celebrate our new home. Uh, those we advised and told that, hey, our house is kind of weird, it's kind of scary, or it's kind of haunted. Half our friends believed us, half didn't. Some thought we were playing. Nobody knows the magnitude until they experienced it themselves. And when they did, because people were um, interacted with at the housewarming party. And summer 2013, I mean, 2012, that's what it was. It was a lot of levitating objects, projectile, loud bangs. Uh, I saw the gray apparition, what I call the gray lady. Um, in the hallway, which really at that time in 2012, I, you know, you never have a face to a haunting, or most people don't. But seeing the apparition, and it was a female, it was a woman, uh, sort of became the face at that time to the haunting because that, I think it was late July, early August is when I saw her. And by then we are knee deep in being haunted, me and Tina. And I was in my office. Tina's taking a bath, and at that time, we are used to lights going off and on by themselves. That just happens now. TV changes by itself. Channels change by themselves. Uh, you leave a room with the lights on, come back, the lights on, vice versa. That just happens now. Books get thrown off the bookshelves in the hallway. That just happens now. This night, I'm in my office just typing on my computer, Got my back turned toward the TV, and it's nighttime, so my office light is on, and all of a sudden, the lights go off in my office, and I hear a click, click, lights go off. It was the light switch. It was the light switch. The click noise came from the light switch. I instinctively, this is more instinct than, I guess, me actually thinking, because 
my natural reaction or the reaction I had when the lights went off was, oh, Tina's playing a joke, right? I'm like, ha ha, Tina, you know? And me and <laughs> Tina had made ground rules before because, you know, when you live in a haunted house, you really don't want to play ghost jokes on each other. It's just really not funny anymore. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You got to be able to separate the real <laughs> from the play. Right? <laughs> please, and I, I said to you, I won't scare you with ghost jokes or ghost pranks. Please don't do me. We already got a ghost. We don't need that to, you know. So we made that agreement. So this night when the lights went off, I thought Tina was reneging on her agreement. So I, I sort of nonchalantly shoulder shrug, push myself back from the computer desk and say, Tina, ha ha, stop turning off the lights. As soon as I turn toward the direction of the door, which is where the light switch is at, is at the door entrance on the wall, I see this woman standing in the doorway. And she's not Tina. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> now, this is, let me tell you why this is scary on so many levels. Because up until that moment, my brain and myself are under the idea, hopeful idea, that Tina is going to be standing there. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I turn and look toward the door, Tina is not standing there. It would be the equivalent of you thinking you're, you know, significant other or somebody standing at the door, and you turn around. And it's a tiger. You know? Yeah. It would be that mindset. Because you'd be like, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, where does tiger come from? <laughs> you know? Hmm. And that's the only way out. That's, there's no other way in and out of your room except going through that doorway. But the tiger's in the way. You know? And it turned off your light. However, it did that. So for me, I'm seeing this woman, it's not Tina, standing in my doorway by the light switch. Right? And my brain was all of a sudden just went into, what the heck? And lucky for me, as soon as I saw her, the woman turned tail and ran. Now, the interesting thing I tell people about her turning tail and running is the first room she tried to duck in, the woman, the gray lady, and I call her gray lady because she was 100% gray. She was full body, solid, no translucent, no transparency whatsoever. And she tried to dodge into the washroom. The washroom is the room to my left. It's the room to my left. But the door was closed. The washroom door was closed. And I'm looking at her really still. I'm not knowing what I'm looking at. I'm just looking at something. And she's trying to go through the door. She's not trying to open the door. Doors don't open doors. You just go through them. She's trying to go through the door. I mean, walk through it, but she can't. You know, she's she's not negotiating that paranormal teleportation or whatever well so there she gives up and just turns tail and runs well not runs she you know speeds away walking fast pace i am out of instinct still don't know what i'm looking at right i get up and give chase you know if it's running from me or walking away from me then I must be, you know, I must not be so much of a threat after all. Why is it running from me? So I want to give chase to it. And, you know, just like in the movie, you turn the corner of the hallway, it's gone. As soon as you turn the corner of my hallway, it was gone. I, I, I'm standing in the middle of the hallway and there's nothing there. So I walk into the master bedroom, which is to my right, the double doors, and walk all the way into the bathroom. 
where Tina is. Tina is taking a bubble bath. And Tina looks at me and sees the expression on my face. You know, and it's true. You look like you see the ghost. And she's like, what's wrong? And I like, and I tell her, I saw it. And she's like, you saw what? You know, I'm like, no, you don't understand. I saw it. I saw the thing that's been throwing pots and flower pots and bangs and all that. She's like, what? So I saw a lady. There was a lady standing outside my office door. She turned the light switch off and tried to get away. I saw her like I'm looking at you now. And Tina believed me. Tina believed me wholeheartedly based on the things we've seen and heard and felt in the home. And plus my facial expression. And I'll never, I'll never forget that that gray lady. I'll never forget we made eye contact, and she, she had a, a several facial expressions on her. She looked like she was confused, looked like she was worn out, tired, but she was conniving. She had a very conniving look, sneaky, uh, stealthy. And I was always in this, and I'll never get the answer to this question. So if you're one of your listeners know the answer, please find me online and tell me or what your theory is because. She turned the light off. I heard the click. You know, the light switch, when you look at it, it was in the off position. That was that's a physical act. That's a 3D physical. She was in our 3D space to do that. I heard the click. The sound made it to my eardrums and registered in my, in my brain. And then plus the visual stimuli as the lights did go off. So it's not in my mind. It's nothing, it's nothing I imagined. This that did happen. But she could not dematerialize through the door. To the, to the washroom door, which made it kind of weird to me because I was always asking myself, "Now why should she turn the lights off in the first place if she didn't, have, if she didn't plan a good exit strategy? Why? Why yeah. is it? Is it that a ghost that you know spontaneous to where they don't they don't think the thing through all the way and because she could not go through that door. Now, granted, and this is what s- several parapsychologists say, and several scientists say is when you were, you were observing her, she she cannot be manifest with you observing her, sort of like the observer effect in quantum physics, where the electron or the photon is a particle or a wave, depending on when it's being observed. So that was very interesting. So mm-hmm. all of 2012 is pretty much what I've just talked about. It's happening on a daily basis. And all of a sudden, around November, December, the activity just comes to a halt. Yippee, hooray, it's gone, it's done. No activity, zero. We don't really know why it stopped abruptly, but we're not complaining, right? We're not picking around corners saying, can you tell us why? We're just curious. No, we're taking, you know, you don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, so we're taking it like a blessing. And it's, oh, it's gone. You got bored. Okay, good. Because we were about to entertain the thought of moving. We were. But when it left, I was like, okay, now we can live in a house that we really love. And we did. Keith and Tina did not have any activity for the majority, for the entirety of 2013. None. Hmm. Now, these same websites that I was getting advice from did have a caveat when they said, 90% 90% of the time, the activity leaves and never resurfaces. Count, hope that you're that fortunate. 
And then it said, but, I'm like, oh man, here it comes. If it does come back, it's always worse than before. Hmm. And I was like, and that stayed in my mind. I was like, well, what do they mean by the worst? Because we thought it was worse then, you know? Woo-wee. 2014 come. Whoa. January 2nd, 2014. Just a day after New Year's. I'm in my office. Sam office, I saw the gray lady. And just for the record, none of the items that went missing in 2012 ever returned in 2013 or ever returned to this day or well, the Bible did the Bible that was missing did return as you're about to find out so 2014 now January 2nd I'm in my office and I'm going downstairs so I'm, I'm you know drinking water or something and I want to refill <clears throat> Tina's cooking dinner and I'm going down the steps it's a, it's a, uh, I think it's 12 24 odd steps I'm coming down the stairs I get to the mid landing of the staircase and I slip. Bad fall, bad fall. I'm six foot five, 250 pounds. And it was over before it started my fall. I, had, I didn't have time to grab nothing. By the time I realized I was falling, I was in a pretzel position on the floor. So I'm laying on the floor on my back, looking at the ceiling. Tina runs over because you hear the commotion. And helps me back up. And fast forward, uh, my knee, I tore my right patella tendon, kneecap. Uh, the kneecap had dislocated, snapped off like a rubber band. It was relocated in my thigh. So that required a trip to the ER that night, right? And that also requires surgery to reattach. So... A week later, I had the surgery to reattach my kneecap to my knee. Now I'm laid up. I can't go to work. I got two months of rehabilitation to do. You know, my knee has to stay straight after the surgery at least a month. You know, then physical therapy starts when they take the bandage off, and that's going to at least take another month. So I'm pretty much almost bedridden. Tina can work. She leaves me at home. I'm working from home. And I'm like on pain meds. I'm in my bedroom. I'm watching TV. Uh, I would not go downstairs with just me in the home. It's too dangerous to be on crutches trying to navigate. Tina's nowhere in sight. So I'm, I'm staying all the way upstairs. Well, as I'm sleeping in and out of sleep, because these payments, one thing they do, they do make you sleepy. I'm hearing rummaging in the kitchen. Remember, I'm upstairs. And by rummaging, I'm hearing something like someone is home going through the kitchen cabinet. Like somebody lives in the home. Like somebody's preparing dinner. You know, they're getting all their utensils and gear out. And they're rummaging. So that wakes me up. And I'm like, I call out to Tina. Maybe Tina arrived home while I was asleep. Tina! Tina, nothing. Rummage continues. Finally, I get out of bed, hop to the landing edge, and scream out some more. Tina, and the noise stops. Lay back in the bed and resumes. 
And Tina comes home hours later. I tell her, I said, hey, I'm hearing noises in the house, you know. I'm hearing, like, somebody's in the home and, and stuff. And Tina's like, ah, you're just, you know, just imagine, you're just tired. Because we're not, we're not really trying to go there again with this ghost mentally. We're not trying to wish it back on us. Well, now I'm also, while I'm sleeping, when Tina's gone, I'm hearing loud bangs, but the bangs are coming from the headboard of my bed on the other side of the headboard. Scratches, like something clawing. Something's clawing on the headboard. And I thought that was weird. And I'm like, okay, that's okay, that's weird. But what can you do with a scratching headboard, right? I mean, what, what can you do? Well, finally, the spirits let it be known that we're back and we're back with a vengeance. Because a weekend, this is now late March, early April, the weekend. Uh, we have this tall uh, armoire that we keep in the hallway, me and Tina. And just so you get a picture of how heavy this armoire weighs or is, it took three of me to carry it upstairs. And we had a hard time carrying that thing upstairs when we moved in. I hate that armoire. I hate it because it was just a pain to move. And we sat it in the hallway. It was our linen closet. And one night, me and Tina were asleep. And out the clear blue, we hear a loud crash from the hallway. You would think a car from outside had busted through your living room or a plane had come through your ceiling. That's how loud it was. Now you imagine you're resting, sleepful, deep sleep, haven't had activity for over a year and a half, and nothing of the scale that you did have is even comes close to this. Flying pottery has nothing compared to a flying armoire. We wake up and go into the hallway expecting to see a 747 waiting for us, and we see the armoire now resting on the other side of the hall. Okay? It took three of me to move it just an inch. It's just mm-hmm. that heavy. This thing is resting several feet, and it's put a gash in the hallway. Wow. It's like the, it's like leaning like the leaning tower. So... We knew that the spirits were back. Tina bust out in tears. She started crying. We knew, we, we knew just by that alone. And I remember what the website said when they're back. They're always worse. And one thing I know about these spirits already that I learned in 2012 is, because the plant, when the plant levitated by the television, is the activity doesn't start 48 hours, 72 hours later. The activity starts the next day. Okay, hmm. it's like three a.m. in the morning. All right, the activity is going to start tonight, Keith and Tina, when y'all get back home. Just FYI, and it did. Plants thrown, banging, door slams. Tina takes a shower. The door slams shut. The lights go off while she's taking a shower. Me take a shower, door slam, lights go off, you know? Or and sometimes they go an extra mile and lock the door. You know, you're screaming, keys, keys, keys. You know, I run up there, and she's, she's stuck in the bathroom, 
You know, we're calling the church. Get them over here. And they're coming. The churches are coming now. Everybody, everybody's coming, right? And the activity is just ratcheting up, ratcheting up. TVs turn on at will now. Uh, that armor I told you gets thrown several more times. Several more. So much that we had to move it into one of the guest bedrooms because it was just it was just wrecking damage to the hallway. But that didn't stop it from being thrown. It would still be thrown in the bedrooms. And everybody's at their wits end. Now, you probably know about the Bibles that caught fire in our home. One of the things that made this case, I guess, sort of unnerving and interesting to some and others who question hmm. is the Bible that caught fire. And the first Bible to caught, catch fire in our home was the Bible, like I said earlier, that went missing in 2012. One of the things we were advised to do is to display your religious beliefs openly. So I put a Bible out on a lampstand in 2012, went to bed the next morning, that Bible was gone. And Tina was out of town. It was just me in the home at that time. That Bible had been missing about a year, two or three months when it reappeared. The night that it reappeared, or the morning, I should say, 1.34 a.m., I remember the time. I'll never forget the time it was. As soon as the fire alarms went off, I looked at my alarm clock next to my bed, and it, and it read 1.34 a.m. The night that Bible returned was one of the most dangerous days and nights of activity we had in the home. Uh, it was when the light fixtures, the porcelain glass domes on your on your lights fixture, your ceilings exploded. The two double doors in our bedroom were ripped off their hinges. Um, loud bangs, objects thrown, uh, the wiring pulled from behind the ceiling, uh, down, dangling like spaghetti. Um, Combustion, concussion sounds, explosions. Um, things would just go popping. You don't know what it is, but it's just popping, like popping cap bottles or bottle tops. Hmm. But you don't know where that's coming from. So the night we went to bed, a paranormal team we had had in the home spent 11 hours to try to quell the activity. Left. <clears throat> Me and Tina are exhausted because of the attack that day, and we go to bed. I, I, I do a little poor reassembly of the bedroom door, thinking we need some sort of protection, which is the weird, to me makes sense, but trying to psychological prep talk myself. So I put the door back up, and we go to sleep. And at 1.34 a.m., the fire alarms are ringing. Now, we've not been introduced to fire yet. Poltergeist phenomena, and that's what this is for the listeners listening. Poltergeist phenomena, fire is not out of the realm of possibility with poltergeist. Uh, it's rare, but it does happen. When it does happen, it's very dangerous. We wake up to fire alarms ringing, and there's not a person alive who ever wants to experience that. You do not ever want to wake up with your fire alarm. You're grateful that they're ringing because they've been put there to save your life. But you automatically assume the worst. And we did. We're assuming. We're not even thinking ghosts. We're thinking there's a fire in the house. Oh, my God. I left the toaster on. Oh, my God. I left the, the coffee maker on. Oh, my God. Tina left the oven. 
Those are running through your minds, not a poltergeist setting fire. Okay, but we're about to find out that's exactly what's happening. And I don't know which is worse. So we open up the, the double door because I see this light illuminating through the cracks of the double bedroom door. There's an orange light illuminating. And I open up the, the double door, and there is a book on fire by our bedroom door. Now, I don't know what kind of book it is yet because it's on fire. And it's flames. This is flame on. So I, more instinct, just close the book. I take my left foot and close the book with my feet, and that extinguishes the fire. Problem solved. When I close it, I realize, wait a minute, I know this book. This is the Bible that went missing a year, almost a year and a half ago. So I pick it up, and it's smoldering. It's got ash, everything, you know, all that stuff. And I pick it up. And, yeah, it's the, it's the Bible that was missing that I put on the lampstand that went missing. But I remember, But as I'm holding the book now, I feel a bulge. There's something in the book. Now, when I set this book down a year, three months ago, I didn't put anything in the book. I just put the book. I opened it up to Psalms or Proverbs and left it on that page, and that was it. I did not put anything in the book. Something's in the book. So I open it, and sure enough, there's a wooden cross. This cross is maybe, I don't know, two inches long, maybe. But I had bought it off Amazon a few days ago, and it came in the mail. And it was from Jerusalem, and I hung it. Mantina prayed over it, and I put the cross above our headboard, our bed. That cross was above our headboard when we went to sleep. You know, not anymore. Now it's in the Bible. So the spirit had took the cross off the wall, which was right above our heads, you know, and put it in the Bible, and now it and the Bible were incinerated. And that was a whole new definition of haunting for me. Yeah. Because I wrote in my book, you know, there's phenomena, you know, and we can talk all day about different types of ghost phenomena. Fire is very different. Mm. Fire is its own category you know because there's no i can't think of any positive connotation with fire you know mm. besides it cooks your food you know <laughs> anything else about fire i can't think of anything positive you know mm. so we're raised from an early age to respect and fear fire you know we, we'll control it gets out of control we're in trouble and now this spirit who held onto this Bible for a year or more saw fit to wait for us to go to sleep, put it by our door, and set it on fire. But, oh, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's get the cross above their head, right above their head. Yeah, get the cross. Put that in the Bible and set both on fire because it's a, it's a mental battle. It's, it's almost a a mental breakdown at that point of making me and Tina, and we did, we felt powerless. We, we felt, okay, this 
this is supernatural now. This is where we're, you know, we need bigger guns to do, deal with this. Yeah. And yeah, the next morning I called the paranormal team and told them, that, and they, to their credit, they were like, we're out of our skill set. We're, we're, we, we don't deal with fire. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the sense that it was the same gray lady entity that was doing this or, or that was, that definitely had a connection to this new phenomenon? Um, no, I, I, and I talk, and I talk about this in both books of the gray lady and, and, and I'm, and I'm going to see her again. I'm going to see the white lady who looks identical to the gray lady, except she's white. I got the sense. What did this, the, the Bible catching fire and the other stuff. I never got the sense it was coming from the apparitions that I saw. Hmm. What I thought of the apparitions that I saw was they're stuck. They are stuck in that house or that land. Um, the apparitions, the female apparitions, um, they can't go anywhere. But they're a witness to it all. But they can't really tell me. Tina said they're just a witness to it all. Um, you know, I, I, I almost... It's going to sound weird. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm dating myself. You ever see that movie Gremlins? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The old A.D. Steven Spielberg. Remember um, Stryker or whatever his name was, the evil one? And Gizmo? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember, they would do all the bad stuff in the home, and Gizmo <laughs> would just be over there eating M&Ms or something. And he was really powerless around them, but he was like, oh, my God, those guys are evil and bad. But they were the same breed, right? They're the same species. But they came from him. but they're mean. They're evil. And Gizmo was like, you guys are crazy. I'm just over here eating M&M's and I'm trying to burn the house down. That's what I got from the spirits in our home. Meaning the apparition would be Gizmo. The, yeah. the spirits carrying out the malevolent activity would be those other things. I forgot the, the official name they gave them. But that's what I got. And they're all they're, 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 there's a relationship between them. But one does not want to have nothing to do with the other. I Meaning, Gizmo doesn't want to have anything to do with the other one. But it can't go anywhere. They're, they're, they're glued at the hip, you know. And yeah, so when the other Bibles start catching fire and the knives start being thrown and large objects start being hurled, I don't think that was the apparitions, even though they were definitely in the vicinity. Because and this happened in, in other hauntings, usually in a Portuguese haunting. There are reports of apparitional sightings, you know, where that be early on, middle, or toward the end. Ours, it was very early on with the great lady, obviously. I saw her within three months of living in the home. And then it would be two years before, maybe, yeah, almost three years before I would see her again. I saw the white lady uh, fall of 2014 in the hallway. She wasn't in my office. She wasn't turning off lights, but she was still in the hallway. She looked identical to the gray lady, except she's all white. But she was more like a movie. When I saw her, she was walking. We didn't make it. We didn't make eye contact. She was very stoic, and it was like watching a movie. I know there's some theories of stone tape theory of a frozen moment gets captured. Um, so that was interesting. But the gray lady, every time I saw her, there was an interaction. She wanted me to see her. She hmm. wanted. She's like, 
I'm not leaving this area till you record, till, till you acknowledge my presence. And then she darts off. Right. Acknowledge my presence, and then I'm going to dart off. Did they wear period clothing or anything to kind of indicate what era they were from? It was hard to ascertain the, the, the period of clothing based on the fact that they were all white or all gray. Hmm. So I, I will tell you, it's not like um, what I can remember. The, the clothing is modern. It's modern. It's hmm. not extraordinary modern. It's just modern. It's it's not colonial 1800s or anything like that. Right, okay. Yeah, it, it, was, it, it, it was a dress. I, that much I do know. On both. The gray lady was a dress. The white lady uh, was pants. She had pants on. Which that stuff was, it was, was, was weird. Right, yeah. So what happens next at this point after this this dangerous activity? What are you thinking in terms of... Well, at this point, at this stage of the game, this is, I mean, this is... You're in the you're in the you're in the eye of the storm because after that morning that or that night, um, the activities intensified. Uh, you're calling help. You're calling for help. Help is now slow and and coming because everybody's exhausted. Everything people the things we tried in 2012, we're trying again. Where well, the spirits are much stronger, and they're much meaner, and it's just I mean. You, you leave and come home, and your house is turned upside down. Couches love seats upside down. Kitchen ransacked. It looks like a vandalism. You know, somebody broke in and committed vandalism. But the alarms, the house is very secure. Uh, we start having the house blessed more. We, we start contacting the local Catholic churches, and they started blessing the house, having communion, holding mass. And that was quiet the activity for a day or two or a week at the most. But it would just always come back louder and meaner, and it would pick up where it left off. Now, with me being an IT, you know, techie, sort of geeky techie, I went out and bought cameras, and it put cameras in every room, or majority of the rooms, because I wanted to capture some of the phenomena live. I was having a hard time getting people to believe the level of activity we were having. Even in the paranormal community, it was like, no house is that active. No, whatsoever, dude. No way, no house. Especially a brand new home. And so I was running into those roadblocks. And I was like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. You got to come here. You got to come here. Well, they're like, well, show me some footage. Give me something besides, you know, photographs and anecdotal. So I put cameras up. And the spirits start manipulating the cameras. They made mince meat of the cameras, and they would turn them off. They would turn them upside down, unplug them, remove the uh, SID card, the SD card, and it would just drive me crazy. I would get more frustrated. You know, you buy these five or six cameras, a hundred dollar per camera, and the spirit takes it. That's a hundred dollars gone. Hmm. You know, or you notice footage on the, on the video because the video. You know, I get email alerts saying we're capturing something, Keith. We're, we're, we're capturing something, and I'm excited. I can't wait to come home to see what I caught. Right? I'm excited, and the camera's over there. Like, ah, it's on. Ah, it's still recording. Ah, it's still recording. Man, they didn't unplug it this time. Ah, sit card's gone. 
Wow. <laughs> it took the SD card. <laughs> and then you just get mad. You're like, ah! And they're right there watching you get mad. And I, me and Tina just shook her head at me because I was so proud. I went out and bought more cameras. I was like, I'm going to buy a camera to watch the camera. I'm going to watch the camera to where I want to see them take the sit or the SD card outside the camera. I want to capture that. You're not going to capture that, you know? So they, they would just manipulate the cameras, commandeer them, swap them. You know, I have a camera that's showing me in my bedroom, and I log in because, you know, it's all cloud-based. So I can access them remotely. And I log into the camera, and it's showing me the kitchen. You know, they swap the MAC addresses. They've, they've, they've done all kind of stuff. They're in my network. They're in my Wi-Fi. They're in my router. They've been reconfigured. Uh, they've changed passwords. They've done all that stuff. You know, I'm getting email notifications, sound detected at home, sound detected at home. Log in. The house looks like a mess. It looks like a Category 5 hurricane has ransacked your house. It does. Because I have the photos to show it. And when I log in, I can see it. Well, I drive home, you know, thinking the mess is going to be waiting on me when I get there. And there's no mess. (laughs) Pristine. It's like, what what are you tripping for, Keith? The house is fine. And you're like, what? So that that's the level of uh, intelligence uh, I like to attribute to these spirits and the level of observation, the level of being deliberate. Um, trickster is a good word. I like that. Yeah. I like your description of, of, of Portuguese. There's definitely a trickster component. Um. We had demonic component. People, I know people frown at that word. And oh, here we go again. No, it's true. No, we had demonic uh, components to our haunting. Uh, I'm not even talking about the fires. I'm talking about the wall writings. I'm talking about the things you saw written on my wall in the office, which is not abnormal for Portuguese hauntings. Uh, A lot of Portuguese hauntings speak of wall writings or messages left, um, paper, scribble, ceiling, wall. Uh, the spirits, majority of the time, will use, you know, whatever's available in the home, crayon, magic marker, lipstick, or stuff like that. Every now and then, they'll get a little bit more uh, macabre, like in our case, with the bone black, the black oil, uh, which nobody knew what it was at the time, but we know now. So these things of, you come home, you got these wall writings on, and they're saying things like the upside down stick figure of a man. What does that mean? That has to mean something. Why draw it? Six six six. A few times they wrote my initials Die K L. You know, my, my name is Keith Linder, so they wrote Die K L on the wall, the lawn outside the home, inside my car. And you would paint over this stuff. I mean, we're buying gallons and gallons of paint to paint over this stuff because you've been advised to. Don't sleep. Don't let hours pass with that stuff on your wall. Don't let them get a foothold. And it was right. You don't want to go to sleep and a few doors over is the words KL. So we would buy primer and paint. But are you doing it for not? Because they just do it again. They just do it again. You're not really problem solving in that, in that sense because they never sleep. I have to maintain a nine to five. Tina has to maintain a nine to five. We have to go to work. I'm at work. I'm getting emails, sound detected at home, motion detected at home. I get home. 
new wall writings. You know, things are destroyed. Cameras are missing. Bibles are missing. Bibles are burnt. More Bibles are burnt. You know, we keep putting Bibles out and they keep burning them. And you have to stop eventually because you're like, I'm just, I'm just giving this thing. I mean, the definition of insanity is what? Doing the thing, same thing over and over and over, the same thing, and expecting a different outcome each time. Well, the outcome is the same. You give us a Bible, we're going to burn it, you know. But that's the advice we're given. And finally, you just, the frustration, the area of defeat, the finger pointing, the argument set in, the lack of sleep, the sleep deprivation. You know, the priest didn't come over today, so that's frustrating. Uh, Tina forgot to leave a voicemail to schedule a, a blessing, so that's frustrating. Or I forgot. I forgot to pick up Sage on the way home. That's frustrating. So we're finger pointing now. And the activity just ratchets up higher and higher and higher. It feeds off animosity. It feeds off fear. It feeds off arguments. It feeds off everything. It listens intuitively. It, it knows Tina's faults and strengths. It knows mine. You know, Tina's getting weird phantom text messages. I'm getting weird phantom text messages. Uh, phantom calls. Calls are being dropped. Me and Tina are having in-depth conversation about the problem at hand, and the call just drops. So all these things are happening, and they're happening at the same time. There's not a line item. No, these things are happening all at the same time. You know, people don't understand the frustration it is to lose your driver's license, your things that identify you as a person that you keep in your billfold or your wallet, because these things are, they're not necessarily expensive to replace, but they are, it is a convenient inconvenience to replace them. You yeah. Know? So if I got to go to the DMV, that's what we call it here in the States, to get a new driver's license new passport, that's a day off work. You know, I got to go rally up my birth certificate. I got to rally up some identification and stuff and go down there, wait in line. I got to fill out some clipboards. got to take a new photo, da 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 Only to have that stuff be lost again. Nothing is preventing that stuff, Keith, from being taken again. You know, I put it in my cast iron safe. I go out and, on Amazon and buy two cast iron safes put my bill forward and wallet in. That does nothing to stop the problem. The poltergeist is like, they get it anyway. They're like, it's gone. You know, I don't even get a, a key or I get a combination safe. I mean, well, I didn't want a key safe. I'm like, no, I'm not getting a key safe. I'll just be giving it to them. I get a combination. Only I know it. Only me and the manufacturer know it, right? <laughs> no. I come back, wallet gone. You know, driver's license, gone. Debit card, gone. You know, got to call my job. Um, I'm not coming in today because I have no ID and I need to go downtown to get my IDs and all that stuff and cancel some credit cards. You know, it's just the inconvenience which leads to frustration and to rub salt into the wound. And I, and I kid you not, this is a true story. This happened. I come back from all these offices I just told you back to the house. And the house is destroyed. It wasn't like that when I left. And they got on the walls, new oil, black oil saying, die KL. You know? It's like, oh boy. You know, it's, it's, every day is a Monday. I always tell people, when you live with a Portuguese, every day is a Monday. You know? Every day. Times 20. Right. 
you know, wake up on the wrong side of the bed in a Portuguese house. Every day, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Every day. Hmm. It sounds like it's using your knowledge against you with um, all the all the things you were doing with the cameras. It knew you were doing that, and so it just somehow it was able to use your own knowledge against you. Everything you tried to do to with the safes and trying to record this activity, oh. it's. It seems to have that ability. Yeah, everything a Portuguese, in my opinion, at least with us, it used against us. It used the Bibles against us. It used holy water, sage. We bought sage sticks. I never knew a sage stick until this experience. You know, I, I seen it briefly in movies, but I had to find a place in town in Seattle who sells it. I'm like, where do you go buy a sage stick? You know? So I'm walking in this botanical garden, and they're like, what kind of sage stick do you need? I'm like, there's different kinds? He's like, oh, yeah, what kind, of, what, what kind do you need? So I come home with a big, giant bag of sage sticks, you know, and look like I'm ready to go to war with something I have no clue what I'm battling. So I start saging and put the sage stick on my Bible, on the bookshelf, and go about my day, go to work the next day, and come back. And the sage stick is not where I left it. It's not in my office. And the reason why it's in my office is because there's new wall writings on the wall from the sage stick. The, the spirit took the sage stick, the ash, and left me a message. You know, when I left the sage stick on the bookshelf, it was about eight inches long. Now it's like four. You know, and there's ash all over the floor. There's ash on the wall, but it's like, you know, upside down cross symbols. And it's letting me know, yeah, we use your sage stick to leave your message. You know, it's like a wolf, you shoot him with a silver bullet and he's like, spits it back out at you. Like, dude, that don't work on me. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're you relying on that. Oh, you're relying on that internet. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm thinking of the point the guys like, oh, you've been watching too many movies. That, yeah, that works in the movies. Because <laughs> you know? it would never work on them. We bought, uh, uh, my friend bought, Back a liter of holy water from uh, I forgot from this famous church in Mexico because he knew of our ordeal. He was going down to see family. He said, "Well, kids, when I'm down there, I'm going to talk. I'm going to stop by and talk to the father, and I'm going to bring some holy water from this well." And he said, "I'm going to bring it back to you." And then they prayed over it and they brought it back. And he did. He brought it back, and it was in this nice little plastic container. And the spirits took that. It just went missing. You know, we said about the Bible, and I'm like, okay, they're not going to go near that. They're not going to go near that thing, or they're going to have an you know, allergic reaction or something. But like I said, I'm, I got Hollywood in my mind. I'm thinking they're going to have an allergic reaction or something. The house is going to start convulsing or something. No. You turn your back around, go brush your teeth and come back, it's just gone. You know? They're like, thank you. We got it. You know, and we'll use it elsewhere. If we don't use it on you, we'll use it on somebody else. Because it never returned. There's still two Bibles that are missing to this day that got taken, that they're just gone. You know, we like to think of, you know, this universe, this reality. But, you know, according to Newton's law, these things have to be somewhere. You know? Yeah. They're not in the bowels of the house. They're not in the walls or the crevice of the house. Oh, they're in the attic. No, we, we, we looked in the attic. We looked in the basement. They're not, they're not there. They're in the spirit's domain. They got them, you know. 
when they took my Bible, the Bible wasn't like behind a wall or a door or something. And no, it's in their domain. When they want to represent it out, they represent it out. That's all the toys we found. The toys we found, there was these were kid toys. They were not now going backwards. The kid toys that we found were not of this era. They were not of this time period. We were finding kid toys that were at least 10, 15 years, 20 years older than the house. The house is not even 20 years old, not even 10 years old. You know, these toys are older than the house. The toys are older than the neighborhood. That's impossible, right? Yeah. You know, but they just, they just live in a different world, and that's where they'll be, and that's where that, that, that holy water is to this day, you know? I'll never see that. I ne- I, I, I'll never expect to see that again. That's what me and Tina never went searching for stuff when things went missing. We're like, why are we searching? It's not in the house. It could be a million miles from us, or it could be one millimeter from us, but it's invisible. You know? It's in another dimension. We, we can't access it. I'm not even going to go look for I'm not even going to give them the satisfaction of looking for the stuff that they took. Mm. Yeah, that would just, just really make them laugh. You know, oh, look, at, he's just pulling up his couch, couch cushions. He's looking under his bed and stuff. That stuff is not there. Mm. So apart from the blessings, what outside assistance were you getting to try and stop this stuff from happening? Well, I mean, the churches, the blessings, you know, um, paranormal teams, but, and it's not like it's paranormal teams. Paranormal teams don't really come in to quell the activity. Well, these are yeah. the ones that we have. They come in to investigate, to see the activity, and maybe offer some suggestions, maybe, but it's all theoretical, you know? But their primary deal is to try to, I mean, I always tell people, and this will make me and Tina mad, is when the paranormal team to walk in our home with the idea of trying to provide us a rational explanation. You know, don't tell me it's raccoons in the attic that's doing this. Stop looking for rodent droppings or something of that nature. Don't tell me it's a the neighborhood burglar or something. Dude, my, my, my Bible caught fire, okay? My armoire got thrown across a hallway. That's not a burglar, okay? We got, I got the state of alarm, the alarm system in my home, state-of-the-art at the yin-yang. Nobody's coming in this house. Me and Tina are time-stamped when we come in. Every time that door opens, it time-stamps that door being open. You know, nobody from the outside world is coming doing this. So stop suggesting that to me, Tina, because it insults our intelligence. It made us very, you know, we know what we're dealing with. We've seen with our own eyes. And a lot of paranormal people, they try to walk you off the air. Well, it's not really a ghost. We can't really say that until we know for sure. No, till you know for sure. You don't live here. We do. Now, there might be manifestations while you're here. If that's good, consider yourself lucky. But don't get the idea just because there's nothing manifesting while you're here that nothing's not happening. And a lot of teams thought that, you know, don't come in here looking for Bibles catching fire. A lot of paranormal teams in the Seattle area, they want to see the Bibles light up, you know, oh, I want to see the Bible catch fire. No, that's, that should be your, that should not be your number one goal. Your number one goal is to try to study the phenomena or ascertain what type of phenomena it is. Because, that should not be your goal because that's not going to happen. That's that's reserved for Keith and Tina. Yeah, you know the spirits are haunting us. You know 
You can ask us questions. You're more than welcome to live here for a time period if you want, you know. But for us, mainly, we're going to witness that stuff. We'll record what we can for you. We'll give it to you if we get we get it. I'll, I'll ring your phone off the hook when activity happens, which I did a lot of times. So, so yeah, but at the, end, at the, at the very end, um, everybody does the same thing. The churches, the blessings and all that, the investigations, the capture, you know, data, you know, you get voices, EVPs, EMF, anomalies. Everybody's getting all that stuff. But none of that, and I never tell people, none of that makes the activity go away. Right. You know. Oh, I got 10 EVPs. Does that mean the activity is going to die down now? No, it has one has nothing to do uh, with the other. And for me and Tina, yeah, I'm glad you got EVPs. I mean, that's something you can tell your friends when you get back to home base or whatever, and y'all can like high five each other. But we still got floating furniture. How, how do we how do we solve that problem? And nobody knows. No, nobody nobody and, and nobody knows on this planet. Nobody knows. There's no silver bullet. There's no. I'm gonna snap my finger and it's gonna stop right now. So bam, that that never happened. I've researched over and over, and I've not found one case where a team or individual walked in and said it ends right now and it ended right now. No, it ends when the poltergeists are ready for you. Yeah, you know, you starve it. There are things to lessen, to mitigate, to not make it be this extreme. You know, there's no such thing of going in and saying. Snap of the finger, bam. I wish there was, but there, there isn't. Yeah. I mean, I know that uh, at one point there was a suggestion that the house might have been built on the site of a graveyard, of a Native American First Nations graveyard. When you were told that, I mean, how did that feel? That that's, that sounds like a, like a slightly cliched answer because, you know, films like, um, you know, Amityville Horror and Pet Cemetery was that, when you when you heard that, was that helpful? Or? Well, yeah, it, yeah, it was. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the movie, I guess, I think it was a movie, Portuguese or something. Yeah, yeah. It was like oh, it was a Native American, bird, and the bones were coming out the swimming pool or something like that. Um, yes and no. So what, the the deal about the Native American, about that house in that area, about Bothell, and this is anybody who's listening can research this. This is easily accessible online. Um, parapsychologist Steve Mara, Don Phillips, uh, Nick Kyle from uh, Scottish SSPR, they lived in a home uh, two and a half weeks. Uh, they came in January and came in April of 2016. Um, what gave rise to the idea of there being Native American linkage, what I would define as cookie crumbs, hints, going back to the wall writings. One of the symbols that was often drawn on the wall in my office was the upside down man. Hmm. It was a stick figure. I don't know if you've seen those photos. And that happened over and over and over and over. What made me go find that, I, I thought that was interesting. I know a pictogram when I see one. I, you know, I went to school. I remember the stuff like that. I remember that subject, calligraphy and all that. So I knew enough of that to say, huh, that's interesting. So I went to the internet and I typed in upside down man symbol, you know, and multiple websites had that identical symbol went out on my wall and they were all Native American websites. 
you know, they said when you see that symbol, it's a Native American symbol, it means a man has died or a man is about to die. The latter made me nervous when I read that. Like, whoa, yeah, I can imagine. about to die, you tend to die KL, okay. But I tried to focus on the first part of a man has died. And then I read deeper and said, well, that symbol is specifically drawn when a man has been murdered or has died of disease, mainly smallpox. Okay? That's what that means. Bothell, the history of Bothell, the history of Pacific Northwest, the history of Puget Sound, Bothell, Washington, in the mid-1800s. This area, pretty much like all of America, was Native American, heavily so. Bothell is no exception. In the mid-1800s, when Bothell and the city of Seattle were being colonized and founded, there was a huge, major smallpox outbreak that was just ripping up the West Coast, from California all the way to Vancouver, Canada, beyond Canada, to Alaska in the 1800s. Bothell was in the smack middle of that, and the Native Americans who were living here at the time called the Duwamish Tribe. Duwamish Tribe, a.k.a. the Willow People, were living in Bothell, and they themselves were caught up in the smallpox outbreak. Through research, I discovered, even when the vaccine had come out for smallpox, it was purposely not given to the Native Americans. They did not want the Native Americans to have it. So the Native Americans, a majority of them, I believe it was over 400,000 in the Puget Sound area, 400,000 died as a result of smallpox. It, was, it became, it was so bad, bodies were littered for miles, 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 and miles, all the way up to Alaska, just 400,000. A drill-down estimate of how many died in Bothell was 500. 500 Native Americans died in Bothell as a result of smallpox. All the bodies, the Duwamish tribe, they bury their dead above ground. They bury their dead in trees. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of Native Americans don't bury their people below ground. A lot of the tribes, some do, some don't, but some bury their dead above. So in Bothell, a lot of the bodies of the smallpox were put in mass graves. Settlers, they're not walking around with seeing dead people in trees. It's just not sanitary. They're not doing that. So the city of Bothell, in conjunction with the smallpox outbreak, there was also wars, factions, between the settlers and the Native Americans at the time. The settlers were chopping down the trees, building up the city of Seattle. They were chopping down the trees, Bothell, Woodingville, Kirkland, Mill Creek. These are the surrounding areas of Bothell. And they were sitting that wood down, the rivers, Skycomish, the Homish River, to erect or what was now called Seattle, Washington. Well, there was war. It wasn't an easy peasy, you know, kumbaya, you know, just like history says. It was war, you know, on both sides. People died, you know, people got killed, mass massacres, whatever, you know, bounties, whatever. So you take all that 
and you bring it into the modern day of 2014. Ah, look at Keith and Tina. They got this house. They got this neighborhood, this new development community. You know, all the houses are 10 years old or less. And you got this Native American symbol of a man has died or is about to die. And then you got the black oil, which is the color of the symbol. When I went to have the black oil analyzed, you know, things that skeptics or, you know, cynic, oh, spray paint, he did that himself. No. When the black oil was analyzed and it came back bone black, a lot of people have never heard of the word bone black. I know I did it. I know a lot of skeptics haven't either. Bone black is not something you can readily buy. It's not something that's readily available. It's not in most people's vocabulary. And that's fine. When I learned of what bone black was made out of, bone black is made out of incinerated buffalo or bison bone. Mm. Okay? The Native Americans throughout history, going way beyond the Native Americans in North America, would use bone black as a means of calligraphy. It's a form of black paint. It's a natural form of black paint. Bone black is 100% organic. It is 100% buffalo bison bone. That's it. It's incinerated and reduced to bone ash, bone char. The benefit of bone black and bone ash is it produces during the incineration process its own adhesive which you have to have an adhesive to get something of a paint substance to adhere to a surface. Bone black generates its own byproduct called Dipples oil. Dipples oil comes from bone ash, bone char, incinerated buffalo bone, bison bone, cow bone, and it's an adhesive. It's one of the most original forms of adhesive uh, during the late 1700s, early 1800s, by Rembrandt, Picasso, and others, they use Dipple's oil often. They use bone black often. Mm. So you have all these things, and you see a familiar pattern of, ah, there goes that word again, Native American, ah, Native American, Native American. So, yeah, I always tell people, don't get the idea that there's, and we don't know, I'm not saying it's, it's not possible. Don't get the idea that Underneath that Bothell house is a graveyard. Yeah. You know, underneath the city of Bothell, the land of Bothell is a graveyard. Wow. Yeah, of course. You know, and the the dynamics that happen outside, meaning Bothell and the dynamics, and, and this is explained in the book, of what happened inside the house. There was a horrible event that happened inside the house. Um, that I discovered, and I put that in book two, book two being Attachments, Portuguese of Washington State, part two, that sort of helps the reader understand why this house was the house from hell. Because what people don't understand, and I, and I almost forgot to mention this, there was a family who lived in the house 2008, 2009, a wife, a husband, and three kids who had similar activity, okay? 
hmm. who, when I talked to them, to her, said, yeah, that house, house from hell, never go back there again, moved out, hey, you live there now, we got out of there. That's what their experience was. So people can say, oh, you made it up and all that. No, I, no, we didn't. A family before us, five years before us, four years before us, had similar activity. And I was glad to find them, to find her, to talk to her, to get that information. And then when I dug deeper as to what happened to her and her family specifically in the house, yeah. It, it, it made sense to me why that house versus the other houses in the area in that neighborhood. But um, one of the things, I mean, this is a mystery surrounding Portuguese cases is nobody knows for sure, you know, you know, the true origin of like the, you know, the, the, the Amityvilles, the, the Enfields, um, the South Shields Portuguese case, these things. It's just so many dynamics and variables, but um, the handwriting, no pun intended, the handwriting was on the wall with the, the bone black, the black oil, and the upside-down Native American symbol. Hmm. So we're just going up for time now. How did this conclude for you and Tina, your time at the house? Well, unfortunately, me and Tina broke up in the home, oh, as did the couple... Yes, as as did the couple who lived there four years prior. When I caught up with the couple who lived in the house four years prior, yeah, they had broke up in the home as well, and they blamed the home. And that's one of the fallouts of a Portuguese haunting or a demonic or malevolent haunting that oftentimes happens. Is there is there 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 is breakup? There is a level of dysfunction. Uh, it just got it just got a bit a be a, a bit too much. Um, especially with the, the poor negative portrayal of Tina on the episode of Ghost Adventures where Zach Baggins and crew tried to make her look like the culprit when Tina was not. It was just a bridge too far for her, uh, for me. It put an, an inordinate amount of stress on an already stressful relationship in that episode and then the problems of the house. So I stayed in the house after she moved out. Tina moved out. 2015. I moved out May of 2016. Uh, Steve Mara, Don Phillips, and Nick Kyle came in early 2016, as did Nikki Novell from the U.S. paranormal team in, on the East Coast of the United States. They lived in the home for four weeks, four and a half weeks. <clears throat> but um, the activity, once Tina moved out, and then the activity with just a year and a half of me still in the house, sort of went from a level five to a level one. It never really subsided. And me having had those paranormal teams come into the home uh, validate our claims because there was a time where people thought we were faking it, especially after the episode aired on Ghost Adventures. Um, when they came in and found the evidence and they found a treasure trove of evidence, like I said, the land, the house, the history and stuff like that, it was time to leave. Four years was enough. I, I felt that four years was fair. I, I yeah, I can imagine. Right? And it, it was it was time to put a new chapter to the to the home. It was it was time to because you have to understand during this moment of living in the home, there were times where I was attacked or haunted while traveling on business. I mean, I would be in my hotel room and have objects 
sometimes thrown at me or my pillow yanked from me while I'm sleeping. Uh, right. Mattress indentations. Uh, can never get the Wi-Fi to work, regardless of what hotel I'm staying in. So that, that that went on for three and a half years, and that was not subsiding. But I needed to. I needed to know if I leave this house now, four years after the fact, am I going to be followed? You know, to my new place of residence, and unfortunately, I was. That's what the second book is primarily about. The second book is Keith no longer living in the home, but still having. Um, Activity, nothing on the scale of the Bothell House, nothing to that scale. But I still have periodic activity, even now I still do, and I think I probably will always have a little bit. Because now it's 2020, I've been out the house four years, and I'm still having intermittent activity. Hmm. But you feel better able to deal with it, or well, not deal with it? But do you feel more comfortable having it happen? Well, it's not. It's not. It's, this activity is not in your face. I don't. I don't even think this. I don't. I don't classify this as malevolent yeah. activity, except to say this is just reminder. I call it reminder activity. Hmm. You know, other day I was, you know, watching. I forgot. I think I was watching the uh, TV, and I have a wine glass on my coffee table in my living room, and I just went to the kitchen to retrieve something out the refrigerator, and I heard this loud crash, and the wine glass is on the other side of the, the living room obliterated you know but i'm like huh okay yeah i just get the dustpan out in the broom and sweep it up and like all right you know that's better than what was than what it could be doing i mean i'll take that versus having knives thrown at me or my clothes catch fire which did happen so i'll take that any day but it's that happens once every six months or so right okay it's to that lesser degree yeah, and I live by myself now. I mean, I live, I live alone. But as soon as I moved out of the Bothell house, there was a lot of activity. It's tapered off a lot. I've now been mm. twice at the Bothell home, but the water puddle phenomena happened on day one of living in my new place of water dripping from a dry ceiling, no known source, which is another known poltergeist phenomena. And that happened in the Bothell house. So when it happened on day one of my new location, I was like, ah. Uh, yeah, you guys let me know y'all here. Thank you. Okay, so yeah, what do you do? It's, it's, it's hard. There's nothing you can do but mm. try to stay positive, and that's all you know. Yeah, try to do is like two books, be informational, answer questions, make myself available to people who have questions, and tell the truth. Yeah. Well, Keith, thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Hey man, thanks for uh, having me. This is good. I'm glad we uh, nailed this down, and I uh, appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thank you. If people want to find out more about yourself and your books, how best do they do that? Uh, good question. So, the Bothell Hell House, where we talked about majority just now, is on Amazon, even in the UK. Amazon UK. Uh, it's called the Bothell Hell House by Keith Linder, um, and then attachments, attachments, Portuguese of Washington State is the continuation. Uh, both books are on Amazon. My email address is on both books. Like I said, I'm not hiding. But I like questions. I like people to find me. I like to feel questions. Uh, if you have an experience that resembles mine or different than mine, please share it with me. Uh, this case is still officially open, by the way, because the phenomenon is still happening. So, yeah, you can definitely find me in those. Um, 
Or you can also go to uh, Demons in Seattle, one word, demonsinseattle.com, where you see more photos, more, more, ev- more evidence, a lot of what we talked about tonight. And then just type in Keith Linder, two I's, L-I-I-N-D-E-R, Keith, first name, on Facebook. And then find me there, send me an email, and uh, I'll get you what you need. I mean, it's, it's, there's so much data, information, um, the documentary. It's on YouTube, Demons in Seattle, Uncovered. It's an hour and a half. I, I recommend everybody watch that mm. uh, because the evidence is just amazing. Uh, a lot of what we talked about today gets verified with the evidence that those guys captured while living in the house. So, yeah, I'm really easy to get hold of. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll send you the links via email. Brilliant. Yeah, well, thanks, Keith. Take care. Hey, man, thank you very much. Thanks. It's hard to imagine what it must have been like for Keith and Tina living in that house as long as they did, given the range of terrifying phenomena they experienced. The fortitude it must have taken to keep going is truly admirable. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have lasted that long. There's just so much to unpack from this case. Was it a haunting? A poltergeist? Both? Or something in between? Is there an evil entity at work here? Or is it just a jerk? Why that particular house? And why torment Keith and Tina that way? Does it relate to the bloody history of the area? Why did the grey lady get confused by a door? So many questions. (laughs) Well with that, it's time to conclude this Halloween episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you did, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen. Also, sharing it on social media and following the show on Twitter really help it to grow and find new listeners. You can find some of the sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and on most of the well-known podcast platforms. You can now also donate to the podcast via Ko-fi. I appreciate right now people have to be careful with their finances, but this kind of support can be a huge help in keeping the podcast going. And for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can be a part of that. Some of the sphere will always be free to listen to, though. If you'd like to get in touch with me at SphereHQ, please email someothersphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Until next time, be safe and well, and thank you very much for listening.
Around and round about the place at night And this is how he tells his tale Oh, hear that bogey wail Up and down the scale Creeping in and out of every room Bogey wail, what an awful wail Guaranteed to fill your soul with gloom Kind of freezes you Then it kind of teases you That mysterious road Makes you panicky when you hear that minor moan Bogey fears Make you strain your ears When you're on your own alone at night Here it comes, nearer yet it comes Filling every marabone with fright A sort of sneaking round, a freaking round Long to see the moonlight pale Every night, when you dim the light You can hear the bogey 